Hey there, guys. This episode of Agency Journey is brought to you by our friends over at Sweet Process. Sweet Process is a process documentation software that gives your team a central place to create and manage all of your important procedures, processes, and policies. And now we all know that processes can't live in a vacuum. And that's why Sweet Process makes it easy for everyone on your team to collaborate together on those processes and then continually keep them up to date. Now, they normally offer a 14-day free trial, but for our audience, they've extended that to a 28-day free trial. So you can head over to sweetprocess.com slash agencyjourney and try it out. No credit card required. Again, that's sweetprocess.com slash agencyjourney. All right. Welcome back to Agency Journey. This is Gray McKenzie, and this week, it's my pleasure to bring on Rochelle Moulton onto the podcast. Rochelle, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you, Gray. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, you've got maybe the best Twitter handle of someone who's been on the show so far. I'm not sure. You are at Consulting Chick on the Twitters. Um, personal site, RochelleMoulton.com, and obviously we'll have that stuff linked up in the show notes. But I'm really excited. I want to dive into kind of how agency leaders should build personal brands. But before we do that, maybe you can just give us a quick intro into yourself. And specifically, I'm going to set you up here. Specifically, what I'm curious about is how you position yourself here in a podcast introduction form, since that's going to be similar to what we're talking about today. Ah, interesting. Well, um, it relates to consulting chick. <laughs> so um, in a nutshell, what I do is I work primarily with consultants and big thinkers to help them build their authority in the marketplace, to be thought of as authorities, um, and to create a thriving business around that. Okay, so you passed the test. That was well thought out and, uh, and lines up with the hero section of the homepage. <laughs> there's, there's step one down. So um, you've got a ton of, like you and I had a conversation here a couple of weeks back where I got to hear more about your background and story. It was super fascinating. I wanna get into some of that today, but, but I wanna start with what does this look like to build authority? So I think that's kind of the first piece is I guess the, the first question probably most people have, I assume, is how, right? When you say your positioning statement mm -hmm. is, well, how, how does that work or what does that mean? So how do you go about or how do you, what does it look like to turn someone into authority or to build their authority? Okay, well, given your audience, I'm thinking you've got a pretty sophisticated group of people that are out marketing for their clients. And so um, the way I think about it is it's all about personal brand. And when you also have an agency that doesn't have your name on it, you've got two brands. You have your agency brand and you have your personal brand. So when it comes to the personal brand, it's, it's pretty simple. It's you need a big idea. And by big idea, it's what do you do to transform your audience? What, how are they different after they've experienced you than they were before? And then built around that is your unique point of view. Because there's lots of organizations that are doing what you do, but they're not led by you. They don't have your unique point of view. They don't have your unique set of, of uh, stories, actions, and visuals. But the stories and the actions are the other key pieces of that. So it's creating that, crafting that brand around that. And if you also have the firm, it has to integrate with that. It can't sound like it's not aligned or you do neither entity any good. Okay, that makes sense. So let me ask you this then. Right away, the point of view, certainly unique, everyone's got a unique point of view. 
Does your big idea also need to be different than the market or can it overlap with other people's big ideas? It can absolutely overlap. Ideally, you talk about it differently. So I'll give you an example. My big idea for my business is be unforgettable. Um, and I use those words. It's not about me. It's about my audience and the transformation that they make. Lots of other people talk about being memorable, um, being the first one in your space. So, you know, I could argue there's nothing truly unique about that. What's unique about it is the way that I say it. And then the point of view that attaches to that. It's the how you get there. Because you could line up 10 people who do this, and we probably are going to have 10 different ways of getting there, 10 different belief systems about how to get there. Right. So I'm always curious when I'm working with somebody or when I have somebody on the podcast uh, who does this as a service for people, we can tackle this in two different ways. So I'm super curious to know, like, how do you tell people to go about doing this? So we can either tackle it from the perspective of how do you lead your uh, clients through this, who you're working with, or kind of what are the more philosophical or like what are the, what are the steps in that process to get there? Um, and I don't know if one is more interesting than the other, but maybe if we start off with how you work with clients. So if someone comes to you and obviously their desire is, I'm assuming largely tied, like is the what's the motivation if I'm coming to work with you? Is it I'm trying to, is it from a business development perspective, typically? Uh, it's typically one of two things. And one is I want to grow my business. So yep. business development in the larger scheme. The other is that some people are interested in a legacy play. They already have a successful business and they, they really don't want any tinkering with that. It, it's working, but it's they have something in mind for themselves that's bigger than what they've already done. Hmm. And they want to build on their success, but in a different way. And so it's much more altruistic and about helping people versus growing the business. It's usually one of those two categories. Okay. And so then when they come and they say, you know, we want to do achieve one of these two things, when to get that big idea, is that coming from, I'm sure it's a combination of the person and the firm, but I'm assuming the first, is the first thing you're doing is looking at the firm. What does the firm do and what's the overlap to what they want? Or do you start with the person? How do you try and? Yeah, it, 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 it is trickier when you have both. So I start with the person yep. um, and I, I go from the inside out. And so I, I have a process I run them through, but theoretically, I mean, anybody could do this for themselves. It's harder but you can absolutely do this. And so the first part is what are those experiences? I have a series of questionnaires or brand sheets is what I call them. But what are those experiences that have marked you as a human being? What are the, um, the business highs and lows, the personal highs and lows? And that's really the core of it. And then, you know, what's your vision for yourself? Now, people get all stuck on the word vision. And I just try to take out, make it a little V vision, which is what do you want for yourself? What do you want for your business? Where do you want to go? How do you see this? What are kind of, what are the guardrails? Because people typically have some guardrails. You know, I'm, I'm only willing to do this while my children are young. Mm -hmm. I, my children are older, so I'm willing to do this. There, so it's really getting in and understanding where you want to go and what those unique experiences are. Then with the business, um, I'm typically, I'm doing my own assessment from the outside in, looking at the business saying, this is how I perceive it. That's the first piece because I, I, want, I don't want that first impression to be tainted by actual knowledge. I want to be a pure outsider looking at it and giving feedback. And then usually the stories dovetail. 
I mean, you know, the founder of the organization, there's, there's a story there. And, and that's what we're really doing is we're picking out the threads of the story between those two processes. Um, the big idea, it's like, here's what I find, is when the big idea presents itself, it's kind of like, aha, of course, of course, it was there all along, but it's really hard to see. You have to do the other work first. And by other work, it's what's your vision? What are the transformational outcomes that you make that really get you jazzed? Because you can have your business doing some sort of a core execution function and it doesn't feel very transformational. And then you can have aspects of the business where you can really see this transformational piece. And a lot of times that's an area where the founder excels. Yeah. And so how do we really dial into that? And usually it doesn't come out until we're getting clear on the on all of the experiences the person has had, where they want to go. Um, and um, uh, what am I leaving out? Oh, the point of view. Like, what is, what's the belief system? And that's what I'm the belief system is what's so fascinating, because we could line up, you know, 10 marketing agencies and they're all going to have different belief systems, even if they do exactly the same thing. Right. And it, that gives you some room to differentiate yourself from your competition. At what point, or does this matter? I'm, I mean, I'm sure it matters to some degree, but at what point does the audience factor in? So do we say, and I feel like there's a, a fine spot here between simply pandering to who you're going after versus finding a message and the way to position it that resonates uh, with who you're trying to um you know, who you're trying to establish authority with, but how does the audience factor into all this? Yeah, well, once you're clear about what your transformations are, that's when you can really start slicing and dicing your audience. And I am just, my middle initial might as well be N for niche. I just am a big believer in niching. It's the way you differentiate yourself. And niching, part of that is who's the audience. So once you're, you understand what you're, let's call it technical expertise and transformational expertise is, then it's who is the audience that I want to serve for that. And if you're growing your business, it, you know, you, you need to have overlap, obviously. Um, if it's a legacy play, there may not be as much overlap as you might expect. There's usually a connection, but not overlap. So then it's who do we want, who's most receptive to this message and who are we excited to serve? This is not just a, you know, a brain analytical exercise. This really has to come from the heart. Who do I want to serve? Because you're going to be serving them for a long time. And you want to slice it and dice it enough so that you've created some white space for yourself. And to me, white space has to be small enough so you can own it, but big enough so that you can achieve your vision. And the audience, how you define your audience has a lot to do with that. For sure. So I would imagine, uh, well, it's going through my head right now. It's probably going through a lot of people's. Um, what are some good examples of who's done this well, or how can we pull out kind of here's the way that they've established themselves and that message and point of view to establish authority with their audience? Yeah, I mean, I, I, these are not all people in the marketing space, but the classic hyper success story would be Mark Benioff with Salesforce. Mm -hmm. Right. He came up with this idea that, you know, an end to software, that was his big idea. And it's interesting because that's kind of a negative big idea, you know, where you're ending something versus creating something. But he went on to hit that message over and over and over again, separate and apart from Salesforce. 
and he built a whole company around it. Um, I also think um, Ann Handley with Marketing Profs hmm. does a really good job. And one of the things that's interesting to me about the way she's positioned herself, she's got two sites that I know of, maybe more, but one is the company site and one is hers. Her site, of course, it's not as well-trafficked as the business site, but it's quite well-trafficked. She gets a lot of attention on that site because she's creating value and she's creating content. Um, There's a few other people I like. There was one um, who I follow on Instagram, just checking to make sure I get her name right. Yes, uh, Wendy Clark, who's now global CEO with Dentsu. And I just tripped over her on Instagram. She has got an amazing Instagram presence. And she's the CEO of a company she did not develop. She's not a founder. Um, I get reading between the lines, I get the impression that part of her Instagram following is why she got that particular job. She's smart. She's picked three or four topics that she hits on. She interweaves uh, her personal life with it in a way that's really powerful. Um, really, really impressive. Um, uh, Natalie Lucier. Uh, she's a, a, a kind of a sort of a soloist with a business, um, does uh, her business access ally and her personal brand. She does a really great job. But again, a lot of this depends on, you know, what's the message and how is it getting out there? Not everybody is going to be stellar on every platform. Like marketing profs is really great on Twitter. Wendy Clark is really great on Instagram. Some others are fabulous on LinkedIn. And they're using those channels to drive traffic to their business and their websites. Right. So uh, I want to go back in a second to the why behind all of this or the, is there a certain person who this is a fit for or not? But before we get there, in terms of channels, I'm assuming what we're looking for here is an overlap between a medium where you individually can thrive. Um, if you hate being on live video or you just can't stand it, but you love writing short, pithy uh, messages, like Twitter's probably a good platform for you. Or mm-hmm. if you're super visual, you know, maybe Instagram's a good platform for you. So there's probably some overlap between the platform that you personally can thrive on and the platform where your audience uh, engages either the most or the right segment of your audience uh, at least engages there. How do you, is that the right way to think about channel selection or how should you select what channels you wind up specializing in? Are you in the, obviously you've got folks like Gary Vee saying be everywhere uh, and then you've got folks like Rochelle Bolton saying the niches are where it's at and so that <laughs> Maybe that's, that's not the camp that you'd be in, but uh, how do you think about selecting channels? So I think of channels as where's my audience first and foremost, you know, I mean, why try to reinvent the wheel, go where your people are. Now um, the challenge is, let's say your people are on Instagram and you're like, oh my God, if I have to take another image and come up with a pithy thing to write about, I'm, you know, I'm going to vomit, right? That may not be the best channel for you, but you may be able to get resources. If you've got an agency and you're serving clients on that channel, you've got resources. It's not like you have to do all of this yourself. Um, But I would start with where are my clients? But the other thing, slightly deeper than that is, I would say do not accept the surface answer of where your clients are. I cannot tell you how many people have told me my clients are not on Twitter. My clients are not on Twitter. Is it okay? Well, let's 
let's try this. And sometimes it's true. Sometimes the clients aren't, aren't there, but you might want Twitter as a platform if you want media attention, because guess what? Every journalist, every blogger, everybody who is even remotely considered media is on Twitter. And when they're going to do a story, they're going to search on Twitter. They just are. So if you're, if you really want to build a media presence, you kind of have to be on Twitter. And I say have to be, you know, there's no absolutes, but it's usually a place you want to be. Um, so look first for where your clients are, but dig deeper. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I have, I, at one point, I think it was three years ago, I figured out how much revenue I'd gotten off my Twitter page. And it was um, in the half a million dollar mark at that point. And I'm talking about just things I could directly attribute to somebody finding me in Twitter. So, you know, I, I was sold. Twitter works for me, for my business. Now with Instagram, Instagram is much more of an unknown. And I've only just dipped a toe. And I was, I've got to tell you, I was kind of convinced that Instagram wasn't going to be it for me. And I was there, I mean, I'd used it personally a bit, but I was there for a week before I found somebody who was promoting our podcast as one of the top five for consultants. I was like, really? People are talking about this on Instagram? So you kind of have to get in there and lift the hood up and look around and see what's available. And you know, if you're a marketing agency, chances are you feel like you've got to have some expertise on these different platforms, but it's not required to be everywhere. If you have a big enough organization, and I would argue Gary Vee does, he can be everywhere, but most of us don't have enough um, bandwidth to be everywhere. So pick, you know, one or two places. It's like picking your top, you know, three to five marketing techniques and focusing on those and having them work and then changing when they don't focus on what works. Right. That makes sense. So let's go back here a second to who is this for? Who is this not for? Um, talking about building authority, most of the examples are people who have, when I think of their personal brand, they're people who have speaking associated with them in some way. Is that a, just a, a prerequisite for doing this that you're going to be willing to go out and put yourself out there in a speaking sense? Or what are the main ways that people build authority? And I would imagine there's some people listening to this who say, all right, these examples are pretty lofty examples. Like I'm not there. I would just like to be a little bit more well-known and have a little bit more business coming in right now. How much work does this need to be uh, for me to get, to get the outcome that I'm trying to get? Okay. So you can be an authority. Uh, well, let me put it this way. You can build authority without speaking. It's difficult to be an authority without some form of speaking. And speaking could be a podcast like this right here. It doesn't have to be that you're up on a stage in front of millions of people. So I think of, of, of authority businesses as somewhere on this continuum of you're offering some kind of consulting, you know, some kind of a service, um, you're writing, and those could be books, they could be articles, it could be blogs, and you're speaking. And it could be classic platform speaking, or it could be that you're on podcasts or you host a podcast and you interview people who you think your audience would enjoy or that are going to further your own knowledge. So um, yeah, we can hold up a very lofty example of authority, but I like to think of it as building authority. So it's a little bit at a time. Most people don't suddenly break through with their Superman cape and say, hey, I'm an authority. It takes, you know, 
many, many drops, drop, drop, drop until you, you do that. Um, I do think though that writing is especially important. Um, and it's because it gives people a place to come back to, to really look at what you've said. Um, it's easy for SEO to pick up. It's easier for people to find. Now, there are some people who just really can't stand to write. I've had, uh, I'm thinking of one client in particular, which is all about the video. It was all about the video, but he was fabulous on video. He was terrific. And he could use that and then just get transcripts made. So he had that piece in writing. So it's about playing to your strengths and then delivering in the platforms and formats that your audience is going to value. Makes sense. I think the powerful thing about writing to writing just has so many additional benefits where the more that you write, the better you become at speaking and sharing your own ideas and just understanding even how you think or how you process through different topics and be able to share it. So I think that's a great, uh, kind of, three-legged stool to put out there in terms of how you build authority um, and that you do in, in all likelihood need some aspect of writing and speaking and um, all this all this plays together well and you, and you start a list I mean the most important thing your most important asset as an authority is not your firm which you might think it's the firm it's a list it's having that email list of people who are welcoming you welcoming you into their inbox and that gives you someone to write for. And as you write, and to your point, you're thinking, you're, and the more you write, the more you think about things, the more connections you make, but then you have an audience who comments. And they'll say, well, you know, you said this, but I was thinking that's not quite right. What about this? And you start to evolve as you understand your audience and what they're looking for from you. And it's hugely powerful. Yeah, that's awesome. What types of people are you working with right now? So obviously you mentioned um, consultants, agency leaders, uh, big thinkers. Who kind of fits the profile of who you're specifically working with right now uh, to coach them? And is it a coaching program that you do or how are you taking people and helping them build authority? Okay, so I have two things. I have one which is really a strategy and an action plan. And that's for people who are in a hurry. They want it done. They've usually been stuck. You know, they're just like, if I spend another five minutes on this, I'm going to scream. And so basically I work with them. I create it for them, give them an action plan, and then we move forward from there. Um, the others are coaching. I do something called authority coaching. And typically those are people that they've already got a business. It's, you know, six figures, seven figures, and they're struggling with some aspect of authority. And usually they've got a business that is thriving. Um, they're doing well. And what they're looking for is how do I really stick to building authority? Because one of the things that happens as you're putting yourself out there is you've got to have a, a really strong sense of self when people don't agree with you. And especially when you're a business owner, you have this agency and you want that to keep growing, but you have something to say and you want it to be aligned, but you want it to be different. So you're going to take some risks. So a lot of times people kind of need that constant. Um, it's not even reassurance. It's, it's that you have a plan for regularly putting yourself out there and then reacting to that. You know, how do you get yourself on a key podcast? How do you get your, your opinion piece in the Washington Post or the New York Times? Those kinds of, 
of things. And did that answer your question? Yeah, that's helpful to just get a sense of, of what that looks like. Um, I want to go back to the podcasting side as well, too, because I think there's this breakdown in how you're uh, working with people right now, what it looks like, but then you're practicing a lot of the stuff that you're talking about here, which I think is obviously helpful to model what we're saying. Um, I think one of the things that intrigues me about your story, and obviously we get, um, you know, there's probably 10 or 15 messages a week saying, hey, can I get on the podcast? Can I do this? Can I do that? One of the things, if I take the time to look at somebody reaching out to try and get media coverage, and they're not doing the thing that they're teaching their audience to do. So if you looked inside of our business and you saw just utter chaos and nothing documented, and all the things that we're teaching and preaching, but that's not the way that we operate, or the marketing agencies who have an awful website and say, well, we just can't get to it. We're too busy to do marketing. Like, um, so one of the things that, I, that obviously uh, deteriorates your credibility and diminishes your authority. What's cool about your situation is you've got the daily authority, so you're writing. Um, you've got the podcast, the business of authority, uh, where you're speaking. You've got kind of these other touch points and, and places that you're putting yourself out there and building your authority. So how did the, I'm curious about the podcast specifically. I'm kind of changing gears here to the podcast side of things. How did the podcast come about? Oh, interesting story. So it's a, it's a co-hosted podcast. My co-host is Jonathan Stark and it was actually his idea. I'll give full credit to him. So what happened is that Jonathan kept retweeting on Twitter about once a month or so, this piece I'd written about pricing, because pricing is his expertise. And I thought, who is this guy? He keeps like putting my stuff out there. He's being so generous. I should connect with him. So we, I sent him a, a, a DM on Twitter and we finally connected and we had a phone call. And it was like, you know, I guess I can't say brothers from another mother, brother and sister from another mother. We just bonded. We understood each other. We had a very similar value, uh, uh, value system. So we hung up and five minutes later, he sent me this email and said, you know, this is going to sound weird because we just met, but I have this idea for a podcast. And he already had two. This was a third. And he even had the name. And because of what I do, I'm really fussy about the name. I loved the name, the business of authority. And he said, I just think it'd be so much more fun and better to do it with a co-host. What do you say? And the irony was, I've been thinking about doing a podcast for a year and I kept not pulling the trigger because I kept thinking, and do I really have time to do this other thing? And what's the technical piece? Something Somehow the technical side of it was just getting in my way. And I was making it to be a bigger deal than it was. It's actually pretty simple when you get right down to it. So I said, yes, I didn't think about it. I just said, yes. And we've been doing it for three years now. So yeah, <laughs> it was, it was a spur of the moment thing, but yeah. And the other thing that's really fun for us is that we really are different. We approach a problem from a different I don't want to say a different viewpoint, but we just have different personalities and different ways of working, but our values are the same. So I think what it does for the audience is it, it, it doesn't get boring because, you know, there's always somebody with a different opinion. Okay. So I don't know Jonathan personally. Uh, I've listened to him. I've read some of his stuff. I'm going to say this from the outside and we'll see how well he's done in terms of me getting his big idea. So I think of Jonathan, I don't know why the phrase hourly billing is nuts always comes to mind, but I always think of here's somebody who, like you said, pricing, I think of him as being 
uh, even inside of pricing, like the anti-hourly billing person. And he's one of the, the group of people pushing for value-based pricing um, and teaching people how to do that. When you think of Jonathan's big idea, what is Jonathan's big idea? Um, yeah, I think you got it. I mean, you got the hourly billing is nuts because that's the title of his book. And what I love about that is nobody's saying it exactly that same way. And it captures the quirkiness of his personality in exactly the right way. So if, if you know, again, I'm also from the outside looking in, I have some more inside information because we've been together for three years doing this stuff, but it absolutely is, is the hourly billing is nuts because what he would like to do, I think the way he describes it is he would like to rid the world of hourly billing because what that means is all of us who are running businesses can be paid more. We get paid based on outcomes not for any unusual reason, but because of our results, because of the transformational outcomes, to go back to my point, the transformational outcomes that we make in our clients. So yes, you, you've got him. Okay. I, I think he would agree. That's, that's super interesting. We've not spent a lot of time thinking about this uh, on our end internally, but even just having this conversation is making me kind of process through and think to myself, what is that? And we've kind of had this phrase that we've tagged onto for the last, I don't know, year or so. The, the, this was the original reason for the name Zen Pilot um, was me thinking about like we just kept running into situations of chaos. And so the antithesis of chaos just kind of being the state of Zen and then trying mm -hmm. to enable people to be the pilot to get to a state of Zen. And so anyways, this name got kind of mashed up that way. And that preceded kind of this phrase that we've kind of clung to for the last year a little bit, uh, cancel chaos or try, you know, trying to find a way to rid some of the chaos uh, that's happening in agencies right now. And it still feels to me, if I had to kind of grade it out, it feels like it's a four or five out of 10. It's like maybe a little too broad for what I want to. What I like about Jonathan's is very specific, like there's a specific group of people and I realize there's a lot of people who do hourly billing and he's targeting a specific subset of that. There's a lot of places that are chaotic. Cancel chaos still feels a little too broad, but anyways, it's been helpful to just kind of get my, my thought process going around that and try and figure out what would this look like to, to put our big idea out there? And what is that? You know, I feel like we're going through this, um, natural but slow kind of organic process of discovering our point of view uh who are we what do we stand for what's our story how do we influence it influence that and so uh, what i think it's cool about what you're doing is uh to go to like someone like david baker who talks about being able to read the jar from the outside versus being the fly stuck inside and not being able to see the label but you you really are the outside perspective to try and come in and say okay here's you've got that outside view uh, to look in and, and see where people are at and what the situation looks like, what they maybe should be known for. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy when once it's all together, it's easy to look at it and go, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, that, that. But it is organic. I mean, it really is. And, you know, you've got a great name for the firm. You've got a, a, a plan behind that. But, yeah, I think when you think about a big idea, it doesn't have to be a tagline. Not every big idea works as a tagline. Yeah. I like big ideas to really be big. And by that, I mean, so, um, you know, the idea of, of um, canceling or taming chaos is big, um, but it probably isn't specific enough that still be big. So it's like, how do you do that? And that's where the point of view really comes in handy. And one of the exercises I give people to try is um, to say, I believe, 
and then fill in that sentence and, you know, write it down and just keep doing it for a week, two weeks until like there's nothing left. And in there somewhere is your point of view. And it's starting to pull it out. The other thing I, I like is, and it sounds counterintuitive, but I do like to look at other people in the space and see what they're saying. Um, because sometimes it can be easier to anchor your point of view when you look at somebody that's diametrically opposed. Right. Like there's a guy who works in the consulting space who is just, he's just mean. Like he says nasty, mean things, but he, it's, it's a shtick kind of. And I don't think he's a mean, nasty guy, but he comes across that way. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want that. That's like diametrically opposed. So sometimes that can help as well as seeing who else is doing what. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this has been really helpful, Rochelle. Um, obviously we'll link up the site um, here for folks to reach out, contact you if there's interest in working together or exploring more about uh, how you either offer um, kind of the strategy and action plan or coaching. What's the, what's the preferred way um, for folks to follow you and, and connect? Um, best way is probably my website, which is RochelleMoulton.com. Um, but you can hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, not on Facebook. <laughs> nice. Well, awesome. Well, you've been generous with your time. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Gray. I really appreciate it. Hey there, hope you enjoyed that conversation between Gray and Rochelle. And if you're in a spot where you're ready to take your agency operations to the next level, head over to zenpilot.com. We've got a lot of different ways that we can help you out. Whether you're an agency just getting started and you want to set things up on a strong foundation, or if you're ready to scale or in the midst of scaling and you feel that pinch of team members onboarding, clients onboarding quickly, and the systems and processes aren't there to help you get to that next level, We've seen it all. And what we'll do together is we'll walk through three steps. Number one, we'll design your system together. And, and we've done this for hundreds of agencies. So you can leverage our expertise to help you design the system that'll match your unique value prop as an agency and your unique team structure. That's the first thing we'll do is work on designing the system. The second thing is we'll begin to build that system out inside of a project management tool. We are huge fans of ClickUp as that project management tool gives you all the flexibility that you need uh, as an agency. The third thing we'll do is train your whole team on how to use it because, hey, it does no good to document processes and set them up in a system if the team doesn't know how the thing is meant to work. So we'll train your team on that accountability piece. Um, head over to zenpilot.com. We can set up a call, dig in much deeper to these three steps and how they might apply to you based on your situation. That's zenpilot.com. Until next time, talk to you later.